Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. We've been in a series called Seven Virtues, and we're taking a look at the different divine attributes that are found in heaven, personified by Jesus, and are available to us. We've talked about many different virtues that we want to see implicated and integrated into our lives. Virtues like faith and truth and humility and courage and prudence. But today, I want to speak to you about the virtue of sacrifice. This is a Christian virtue. It is one of the four cardinal virtues, although that word and that concept is actually the virtue of charity. I was thinking about speaking to you about the virtue of generosity, but when I look at it from a biblical lens, the virtue that we live by is more than charity. It's deeper than generosity. It's the virtue personified by the life and death of Jesus Christ. It's the virtue of sacrifice. And today, I want to read from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to have the the verses on the screen, but you have your handy Bible just if you want to go there. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. And I want to, we're going to go really through this whole chapter. And I want to talk to you about the story of Abraham's call to sacrifice. The Bible says this. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and and Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Notice the language here. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and make him an offering. Christianity is a call to sacrifice. The call of Jesus Christ is a call into a life of sacrifice. And my hope is that we as Christians, as Christ followers, followers, as we as a church, that we would hold lightly to the things that we hold precious if they aren't Jesus. Anything other than Jesus, we hold lightly to. But to Jesus, we cling fully. Amen? Lord, I pray right now as I speak, may you speak, God. God, may it not be my words, but your word, God. Illuminate the text, God. Awaken our hearts, and may we see you even in a brand new way. And God, I thank you for your grand plan of salvation that began at the dawn of time, and it's still at work in our lives today. So right now, Holy Spirit, we give you the space to come and speak to your people. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him. See, What God is searching for then is what he's searching for now. God is searching for someone who will sacrifice. God is looking for willing people, willing vessels. He's looking for those that give generously. That's why it says don't give under compulsion. That's ungodly. God is not looking for slaves. He's not looking for automatons. He's not looking for people that are pressured into worship. God's looking for willing sacrifices. And so when he searches in the time of Abraham, when very few men knew God, he sees a man who has a heart like his own. Because see, the heart of God is a heart to sacrifice. 
And so when he's searching, he sees something in Abraham. He sees a desire to serve, a desire to love God, a desire to give whatever God asks of him. And so God, God seeks Abraham. And I believe one of the reasons, if not the primary reason, is because God sees within him someone willing to sacrifice. Because you have to understand, this is a virtue. Some might even call it a lost virtue. And even at that time, the virtue of sacrifice was rare among people. I mean, the ancient people aren't that much different than people today. That culture is not much different than our culture. Jesus even tells us that in the end, people are going to be like in the beginning. That the last culture is going to be like the culture in the days of Noah, which was completely absent God and completely focused on self. This is in that time frame. God looks down and he sees people that are complacent, people that are comfortable, people that are apathetic towards the things of God, certainly people that are self-centered, self-focused, and blatantly immoral. I mean, this is, this is the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so when God's searching for someone, he's searching for someone with a virtue that's willing to give. And who does he find? He finds one man. Abraham, and the Bible says that at the end of this journey that God and Abraham actually even become friends. Like, like it's deeper even than salvation. It, it moves into the level of friendship. And I wonder if that likeness, I wonder if that connection has something to do with what's going to happen in this chapter, that, that God recognized, recognized something in Abraham that he knew of himself. A willingness. And so, so the Bible says that God one day arrives to Abraham and, and, and just announces his favor over him, which is so the way of God. That in the end, there's nothing we can do to ever earn his favor or to grab his attention. But it is all God from beginning through the middle to the end. He is the one who fa favors us. He is the one who graces us. He is the one who finds us. So one day Abraham's just sitting in his tent and God shows up and he says, Abraham, you have found favor in the sight of the Lord. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a land for an inheritance. I'm going to bless all the nations through you. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to do it all. What's that? Well, that's grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Meaning you could not, even if you wanted to, do anything to earn it. God even says our righteousness is it's as if filthy rags before the Lord. He's so holy. He's so just. He's so good. Even our goodness is incomparable. So it's got to be by grace that we get the attention of God. And that's true of Abraham. It was God's grace that found Noah. It was God's grace that found Abraham. It was God's grace that found Moses. It was God's grace that found you. God's grace that lifts us up out of our broken place and gives us what we don't deserve. But I want you to please understand that grace does not reprieve you from sacrifice. They're not enemies. They're not against each other. Just because you're graced and blessed and accepted does not mean also that you won't be called to sacrifice. And so favor was found on Abraham, but now God comes to him and he asks for a great sacrifice from him. And so really that is what grace does. Grace, it, 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 it leads me to God and it leads me to sacrifice. 
And it leads us through sacrifice so that God gets all the glory. I want to say this today. You're graced to be able to sacrifice. Because a life without sacrifice is shallow. And it soon becomes meaningless. And we know this. Anything worth getting requires sacrifice. Anything worth having, building, requires sacrifice. Marriage, good marriage, requires a lot of sacrifice. The married people know this in the room. The single people think like, yes, but you don't know how tough it is to be single. And it's like, you don't know. <laughs> single people are like, if I just could, if I just, I would be complete. And it would be like, uh, I don't know. It's more, it's more like you enter into like a, uh, like a factory with large chisels and chainsaws. It just begins to cut away at you. And is it God or is it your spouse? It's both. It's... You know. Marriage takes sacrifice. And not one sacrifice, many sacrifices. Time after time. Compromise and, and love. And, and God is for this plan, by the way. God says to men, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. And all the men are like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then God says, which means like, when Jesus died for the church. Love your life like Christ loved the church because Jesus died for the church. And it's like, oh, that kind of sacrifice. <laughs> Lay your life down continually. But anything worth having requires great sacrifice. You know, having godly children is going to take sacrifice from you. They're, they're not just going to grow up good or godly. <laughs> you know this. The parents laugh in the place. They chuckle in despair. You know, I, I didn't realize how much my parents sacrificed until I brought my kids to a Christian school. And then I got the bill. Oh, hold me, Samantha. And I realized what my parents did in sacrificing for me. You know, like... Not, not to provide myself as an example. But I drive 30 minutes to my kids' Christian school and 30 minutes back every single day. And my wife drives 30 minutes and she drives 30 minutes back. And you say, why would you do this? It's because I understand that sacrifice never goes unseen by God. My kids might not understand it, but one day they will. They'll get the bill. And I'll be standing over here like, your turn. Anything worth having takes sacrifice. You know this. If you want a healthy body or a healthy mind, it takes sacrifice. I mean, really, it takes sacrifice on what you intake through your eyes and through your mouth. It's the same concept, same principle. Whatever comes in begins to create. And if you want health, you're going to have to sacrifice on the intake. This is... This is a, like a holy and a universal principle. If, if, you, um, if you desire to have healthy emotions or healthy reactions, you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice your urges. You're going to have to <laughs> sacrifice your first instincts. You're going to have to sacrifice what comes naturally. Amen? 
And you're going to have to take it captive and submit it to God. Because you say, God, I don't want to be a person led, owned, driven by my urges, by my desires, by my instincts. I don't want to become the final outcome of that person. So it's going to require sacrifice. This church, the church, it's built on sacrifice. This is the primary virtue that the church rests on, the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus says, I will build my church. And how did he do it? Through the cross. And he became the cornerstone. He is the builder of the church. And he gave everything for his bride. And he is still working on his bride, building up his bride. And the Bible says he has not forgotten his bride, and he will come again to his bride. And we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We've had enough. We don't want this world. Take the world, but just give me Jesus. And great men and women that have followed from Jesus' example, that have sacrificed for the bride of Jesus Christ. In nations and places all around, those that were burned at the stake and lost their lives and went on, on dangerous missionary journeys and gave up years of their lives and families and hopes and dreams all so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could go out into all the world. You think of people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Huss, people that literally burned at the stake in order to not renounce what they believed. They sacrificed everything so that we could today gather together. Even the pilgrims said, no, we are going to worship the way we want to worship. And they left England, which was a place of Christianity, but it was a place of a Christianity that was based on man, not God. And they said, that isn't good enough. We're here for Jesus and Jesus alone. And they came and they endured hardship and toil to create a place that honors God. Sacrifice. This building was built by sacrifice. People took out second mortgages and sold things and brought it before the house. And the men of the house built the church and built this building and that building and, and, and gave up nights and weekends and years of their life for sacrifice. Even Sunday morning today, the lights aren't on, doors aren't open by magic and mystery. But the A-team showed up at 7.30 in the morning. And they got ready and they prepared their hearts to serve, which is beautiful. And the Bible says, when you give, give as unto the Lord. Do all things as unto the Lord. So, so whether you're seen or recognized, and I do seek to recognize you right now, but know this, God sees it all. And he loves it all. And it is an incense before him. And he says, this is what my heart has been searching for. And I want you to know, A-team, those of you that serve parking cars and moving people and helping seat and helping greet and bringing the worship and watching the children. Do you know how difficult it is next door watching the children? Do you know what the numbers and the logistics are of crying children all around you? But there's sacrifice going on so that we can come and we can worship Jesus. And so I thank the A-team. And I'm grateful to you all who are faithful in serving the matchless house of the Lord. In this house, and this place is not built on the talents of a few, but the sacrifice of many. And may it be holy and acceptable to the Lord Jesus Christ. The willingness to sacrifice is a signal to heaven. It's like a flare that shot up in the dark of night. 
that gets the attention of anyone that's looking. And make no mistake, God is looking. He's searching the earth for his servants. And anyone that says, here I am, Lord, use me. I might not know it all. I might not have it all together. I might not understand everything, but Lord, I'm willing. God says, that's who I'm going to use. That's who I'm going to establish. That's who I'm going to favor. Please know this. If you are willing to sacrifice, you are not outside the bounds of being used by God Almighty. And this is personified in the life of Abraham. When God showed up in Abraham's uh, house in his tent, he, he prayed this prayer. He said, oh, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Abraham saying, here I am. And if you have favored me, don't pass me by. Know that that is an answer. That is a prayer that will be answered every single time it's prayed. Lord, use us. We're willing to serve. A few years back, Samantha and I went out to dinner with some pastors that are part of the elders of this church, the Cervellos. They've been in ministry 40, 50 years. And I might have told you about this dinner before. It was a pretty um, unforgettable uh, conversation. It went on and on, two, three hours. We didn't want it to leave. You ever have a conversation that's so gripping that the time disappears for a moment? They were telling us about miracles that they saw and how their church got built and how they were saved and, and, and angelic visitations with, with people in their lives and, and just one story after another that was supernatural and superhuman and just beyond and, and we were being so filled with faith, you know, like when the two people were working, were walking with Jesus and, and after he left, they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he exposed the scriptures? There's just something about when you get around faith people. There's just something about when you get around people that know God. I mean, know God. It, it just awakens something within you, within you. Make no mistake, communion, community, cruise, it's a very powerful thing. Set your heart on fire. And that's what was happening to us. And after hearing of all the hardship and the difficulty and the overcoming and the miracles, I was driving away and I whispered to God. I said, God, when will I see miracles like that? God, I want to see the power of God in my own time. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak right to my spirit so clearly. I felt God say, you will. And I got to be honest, it scared me a little. I wanted to be like, you will, man, you will. But I got God saying, oh, you will. And then I remembered all of the difficulties that started the, con like the miracles, what I was wanting, but the miracles only came out of the hardship, out of the difficulty, out of the obstructions, out of the obstacles, out, out of the, the time when man could not solve this problem. And God brought me to that and said, you will go through some things. And, and ministry is like, Many times it's like dying a thousand deaths, death to self, death to hopes, death to plans, death, death to what you thought. And, and that's, that's the sacrifice of being a minister. And I'm not the only minister in this room. You are all the ministry of the saints. And we're all going to have to walk this walk. And so, so I remember when the Holy Spirit spoke that to me three years ago. I was like, oh, goodness. Now I'm nervous, you know. And that was three years ago. And then, of course, 2020 happened and we've all. We've all been through it, you know, and there's so many different things that, that I, I've seen since that time. And I know it's just the beginning of our ministry journey, but I'm believing and praying that all of the obstacles and all of the difficulties work out for miracles because of willing sacrifices. May that be true of us. May that be true of you. May that be true of this house.
Because the reality is, if you're looking to be used by the Lord, you must be willing to pay the price of sacrifice. And that's what Abraham did. After God came and asked for his son, his only son, whom he loved, the Bible says that Abraham arose early the next day. And that's the day you sleep in, but he got up early. And he prepared his house and his servants and the donkey and the wood and all the things that would be necessary for the offering. And he took on, off on a three-day journey. And on the, on the third day, the Bible says, he lifted up his eyes and he saw the mountain of God, Mount Moriah. And he knew that this was the place where he was called to go into worship. And so he tells the two servants that are there with his son and the donkey, they say, you wait here and we will go up and worship on the mountain and we both We'll come back to you. Because never throughout the moment, throughout the, 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 the difficulty, did Abraham lose his faith. We will go and we will come back and we will worship you. And so Abraham and Isaac journeyed up the mountain alone. And the Bible says that Isaac asks his father, Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. And Isaac says, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb? I see the fire. And I see the wood. But where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? This question asked by Isaac was divine. And it echoed for 2,000 years on that mountain. Because see, Moriah, you know it by a different name. It's Calvary. Where's the lamb? Moses, when he was asked by God to bring his people out of Egypt, God says the angel of death is going to pass over you, but first you need to take a lamb as a sacrifice and put the blood over the mantle of your home. You need to put it on the doorpost, and if the angel sees the blood of the lamb, it will pass over your house. And the Bible says that the people of Israel put the blood over them and death passed over, life on the inside. And God used this event to bring them out of death, out of sin, out of slavery of Egypt. And even more than that, do you know that the Bible says that as they exited out of Egypt, there were none feeble among them. Out of slavery, yet still strong and healthy, and I believe it is by the blood of Jesus that we may be healed, we may be strengthened, we may lose our feebleness of our mind and body, and they exited Egypt, and yet there was still no land. The perfect, spotless, final sacrifice was still awaited. There was only the temporary sacrifice, but not the lamb. A thousand years after that, David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, and he brought the presence of God right into the place, and there was celebration, and, and, and people were dancing. Finally, we've had the Passover, but now we have the presence, living amongst the people. And, and there, was, there, was, there was worship and excitement, and God loved, loved what David did. And he said, because of this action, I'm going to establish through your bloodline and lineage a house and a kingdom that will never, ever, ever fail. There will come a son of David who will reign. And yet, there was still no lamb. We were still awaiting the lamb. But after that, there was a man named John the Baptist. 
The Bible says he was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. And his ministry began to grow, and he was so powerful. People thought, this must be Elijah. This must be the second coming. But yet his ministry was not to be the Christ, but to prepare the way for the Christ. Because a king does not go anywhere unless he is first heralded and proclaimed, and there is preparation. And John the Baptist did that. He shouted as a voice in the wilderness, prepare the way for the king to come. And and, and after years of his ministry, the Bible says that Jesus arrived on the scene, and he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he shouted out, behold the Lamb. This is who we've been waiting for. This is who we've been hoping for. This is who Isaac, Moses, David longed to see. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. And he had in that moment the ministry of recognition of who the Christ was. And in this moment, he fulfills Abraham's prophecy in his reply to his son saying, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide the sacrifice. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the lamb. He's the lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world, your sin, my sin. He's perfect. He's spotless. He's righteous. He's innocent, yet sent by God to be our substitutionary atonement. He is life for our life. He is blood for our blood. He is our savior. He is our rewarder. He is our redeemer. He is our God. Him alone. Only Jesus could do this. And my question for you today is, are you looking for the lamb? Or are you satisfied with what we have as half a sacrifice? We've got the fire. We've got the wood. We've got the presence. We've got the church. But make no mistake, if we do not have the lamb, we have nothing. If we do not have Jesus, we have nothing. If you have miracles, but you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. If you have excitement and you have people and you have gatherings, but we do not have Jesus, we have nothing. So I stand with Isaac and I say, Lord, where's the lamb of God? We want Jesus and nothing else. Jesus and nothing less. God, we don't want to be blessed. We want Jesus. We want Jesus. The purpose of our living is to know Jesus in Jesus Christ crucified. He is the lamb that came to take away the sins of the world. And Abraham prophesied that God will provide. But they still had to finish this journey. He built the altar. He put Isaac, his son, on top of the wood. He bound his son. And isn't it amazing that Isaac allowed himself to be bound? Abraham was over 100 years old. Isaac had to be willing in this. But Isaac said, I know the God that you have, Dad. I trust. I've got my own faith. And he allowed himself to be placed on the altar. And the Bible says that Abraham took the knife in his hand. He looks away and he prepares to sacrifice his son, his only son, whom he loves. But a voice comes from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. You've passed the test. I've seen that you will hold nothing back from me, even your son, your only son whom you love. And God stopped this sacrifice. And in a moment, Abraham turned around and sees a ram caught in the thicket, not a lamb. Because the lamb is still to come. Wow. Yeah. But a ram 
and temporary place of his son. And he tells his son, this place has a new name. It's called the Mount of the Lord. And the Bible says on the Mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And he named it rightly because that mountain became Golgotha. That mountain became the place where the true lamb came and exchanged his life. And the reality is this, only God can make this sacrifice. Only God. Only Jesus. Because I think sometimes we think as Christians, if we sacrifice, we'll be blessed. But the reality is, reality is you can't save you. No matter what you do. No matter how good, no matter what you give up, no matter what you do or don't do, you, you can't save you. And so all of our sacrifice, it's just a response from, from his eternal sacrifice. And all of our sacrifice pales in comparison to the sacrifice of the cross. This is the story of salvation. And Jesus came with the singular purpose to sacrifice. He was literally born to die. And he tells us this. He says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So see, the story of the crucifixion is foreshadowed by the story of Abraham and Isaac. That was the picture, but the crucifixion is the fulfillment. But God wanted to see, is there a man that will do what I really will end up doing. For every one of us, individually, would have to sacrifice at that level for our own sins, and we could not do it. It had to be God. And when, I, when I've read this story of, of Abraham and Isaac, I've often wondered who would sacrifice more. Would it be Abraham or would it be Isaac? As a, when I was younger, I always thought it was Isaac that he willingly carried the wood on his own back, that he willingly allowed himself to be t bound and tied and placed on the altar. and He willingly gave up his life, told his father, it's okay, do what you have to do. I always thought it was Isaac. But now that I am a father and I look at my son, my oldest son whom I love, I think there's no way I would die a thousand deaths. I would absolutely take his place. I would do anything so that he might have life. So I think about the sacrifice from another perspective. It wasn't just the son that sacrificed, but it was the father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God was involved in this process as well. And when God sees Abraham about to do what he asked him to do, he says, I can't ask him to do it. And when he sees Isaac, about to do what Isaac's going to do. He says, I can't ask him to do it, even though they deserve it, even though they've sinned, even though because of Adam and Eve all deserve death. This is not my plan. This is not my way. Their sacrifice will not set them free. So God says, I'll become both. I'll become father and son. Abraham and Isaac, judged and accused. I'll become priest and sacrifice. I'll become sin and savior. I'll do both. I will crush and I will be crushed. Also that my children can come back. And so Jesus on that, 
On that mountain, he carried, like Isaac, the wood for his own death. He allowed himself to be bound by weak men, mocked by sinners, mocked by fools, beaten, broken. And he allowed himself to be placed on that cross and lifted up, knowing if I be lifted up, I'll bring salvation to all mankind. He allowed himself to be forsaken when he calls out to God, Eloi, Eloi, Lamai, Sabachthani, which translates to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus allowed himself to be forsaken so that you and I will never ever, not for a moment, not for a second, not now or in eternity, ever have to be forsaken by the God who loves us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the son that said to the father, not my will, but yours be done. But then I think about the father, God, like Abraham. He knew the divine plan that he must crush and sacrifice his own son. And he watched this divine plan play out in his life. He watched him be falsely accused and mocked and beaten humiliated. He watched his son carry that wood all the way up. Like, like Abraham watched, knowing what lies at the end of this journey, God watched Jesus all throughout the process, knowing what lies at the end and the sacrifice that they both would have to make. And we see it from God's perspective in the book of Isaiah. Will you turn with me? Isaiah 53, page 356. And God looks on his son and he watches his divine plan play out. Hundreds of years before this ever happened, it was prophesied and God saw. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Speaking of Jesus, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. In all, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb. Like a lamb. Where's the lamb? Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, and he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? 
And they, they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, God says, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgression. Truly, Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. Truly, he is the reason of our salvation. Truly, his blood is acceptable to God. And I thank God that his story does not end at the cross, but three days later, he rose up out of the grave with authority, with redemption. Like Isaac, who himself got up off the altar. Jesus' life was not taken, it was given. And he had the authority to take it back. And he rose from the grave as the perfect, spotless, righteous lamb who is alive right now. And he is in the throne room of heaven. And when we get there, we will see him and we will bow before him. And we will thank him for the sacrifice that we could not do. Because we couldn't be Abraham and we couldn't be Isaac. But God sent his son, his only son whom he loved, who is worthy, worthy, worthy. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God. There is none like you. You alone are magnifying, worthy to be praised. We lift our hands to you right now, Jesus. We thank you for what you did. God, we don't treat it lightly. We're not, we're not overly familiar with this story. It's the only story. The great sacrifice of the Almighty. As Abraham said today, we agree. The Lord is our provider. You provide in our sickness. You provide in our weakness. You provide in our homes and in our minds and in our life. You provide for our children. And most importantly of all, you provide for our eternity. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.